the, the playing field is so skewed beyond people's comprehension. Um, one out of every 1,000 black males in America will be killed by the police. Like the numbers, the numbers are ridiculous, um, and it's not a it's not a broken system. It's a system that's been set up, uh, you know, against the underprivileged people. And it's you know, it's it's any group that is a minority group out there that the system is designed to really go against. And there's the same conversations have been happening for decades. And very little change has been happening because, as I said, this is a system issue and the system is designed to keep people, uh, you know, from having the power to hold police accountable, uh, holding politicians accountable. Police unions have become super powerful. Um, you have the ability as a police officer to legitimately harm a citizen, transfer to another department, and that record doesn't even follow you. It's really designed uh, not with the people in mind. And America still has such a, a big level of segregation. We live in, we live in, you know, we live in Toronto, one of the most multicultural cities in the world, and we may not see how segregated things can actually be. But in the mm-hmm. states, it's very apparent. And I mean, I was first exposed to this in like the early 2000s when I started going out to to the Bay Area, San Francisco, and Oakland, and you know, hearing day to day stories and seeing the grassroots movement. A lot of the grassroots movements come out of Oakland, and you start to realize that this is not you know, these outlier stories. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, I, I equate it to like what you even see in Israel and Palestine where just, you know, the Israeli population are, have been conditioned not to even view the other side as human beings. Mm-hmm. And there's such a rich history of that in the United States as well. So it's happening. And all that's happening, the only difference that's, that's happening now is that, you know, we have more footage of it. Mm-hmm. And specifically with, with uh, uh, George Floyd, you know, because it was so slow and deliberate, it hit people on a whole different nerve, mm-hmm. you know, and black civil rights have, you know, they haven't moved as fast as other civil rights movements. For example, the LGBTQ yeah. community, they've moved dramatically quicker and, and, and they're statistically going to probably find neutrality much quicker. Um, and this video was, you know, the, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, from a perspective, from a perspective of, you know, protests, marches, looting, and riots, um, protesters, uh, people who decide to riot, people who decide to loot, these people aren't part of some centralized organization. Mm-hmm. They don't have a leadership. They don't have any of that. Um, so we're not in a position to kind of point to their head and say, "Hey, get get your people to stop." However. The police do. Yeah. And there weren't any looting riots or protests in March. There weren't any in February. There weren't any in January. There weren't any in 2019. This is a direct result of police brutality. So if you have an issue with the, with the looting and the rioting, if that's what you want to focus on, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you still have to deal with police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, looting and rioting is the cough. Police brutality is the cold. You don't blame the cough, you blame the cold. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's cherry picking when people want to focus on it from that standpoint. But also you have to realize this is a reaction to violence. This isn't, you know, this isn't a violent reaction to something mm-hmm. that was nonviolent. Yeah. This is a, uh, this has been ongoing. Um, and just historically, the amount of police officers who, who have now existed in a culture where they don't have the accountability. And even the good police officers are not uh, in a position to uh, hold their fellow officers accountable. And because of that, the system went too far. And it got so far where a guy thought it was cool to keep his knee on, on the neck of a man while he begged for his life mm-hmm. with cameras rolling, with body cam, with every safety precaution, with other officers there. He felt it was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he felt it was acceptable. It was okay. Um, and that has to change. And that's going to, that's it. That has to change, um, with a level of intensity that people aren't used to. And that's the point, you know, this discomfort that everybody else is feeling is a discomfort that under, underrepresented groups have, have always been feeling. And to equate the value of a life in comparison to property damage, you know, it, it's just, it's, it, from an economic standpoint, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. From a moral standpoint is stupid. From a spiritual standpoint, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in no in no conversations is it is it even comparable so from that perspective you have to understand that and i think it's also a really good understanding that you know recognizing that police are really here to protect the wealthiest among us mm -hmm. and that's usually reflection uh, reflected in property yeah you know? police are here to protect property so um the destruction of property uh is not a is not a new concept you know this is this is a concept that has existed far beyond uh civil rights mm -hmm. and there's also plenty of instances when white people are destroying property and rioting and looting uh for absolutely no legitimate reason just because their hockey team loses loses uh, you know in the playoffs yeah, yeah. when the hockey team wins the playoffs yeah yeah you know what i mean like this is you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of double standards here, um, but unfortunately, for people who are used to the status quo and how things were, you know, things you know aren't going to be like that. And I think a lot of us are guilty of being like, oh, another another innocent unarmed black man was killed by the cops. There'll be you know a couple of days of protests and things will go back mm -hmm. to normal. But this time, I think a lot of it had to do with the video that was so slow mm -hmm. and deliberate. It wasn't a shooting. There wasn't any questions you know i remember the first day it happened i went on like the most i went on like breitbart and like yeah. hardcore trump site and even yeah. they were saying put this guy yeah. like it was it wasn't very debatable at that point so i think it really shifted things and now you're talking about like you know the, the pressure has gotten to every corporation every corporation pretending to give a shit now like mm -hmm. yeah, i think that's a way that's not that didn't happen with michael mm -hmm. brown that didn't happen with tamir rice it didn't happen mm -hmm. uh, so i think the idea that you know the camera really is the the biggest the biggest weapon against fascists is it's, it's been proven in 2020. Um, your background as like an educator and also as a hip hop artist and an author, you probably have a better understanding of the average person uh, of the systematic oppression of black people. Uh, even your experiences uh, in the states for someone that's like in the early 20s who's sort of in a position of privilege let's in canada our skin color what would you recommend for them to or how can they sort of catch up or understand the plight like are there sources are there ways like what would you recommend i mean for me it all started when i was like 17 i learned about mumia abu jamal um and you know you learn about how you know he he, he was a man that was on death row for about 30 years mm -hmm. um you know, accused of killing a police officer. And um, you saw how many biases existed in the, in the judicial system against him. And that was the first time I was like, wait, like the cops went to good guys, things aren't fair, like all of this. And, you know, it was a brave teacher that, you know, took me out of my comfort zone to show me that. Mm -hmm. And the instant that happened, you know, the, it was the instant I discovered Talib Kweli because he rapped about Mumia. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden from Talib Kweli to Most Def to Common, it became a rabbit hole in itself. And then I started learning about, then I, uh, I think it was Spike Lee that said the, the most important book in the world is, you know, Malcolm X's uh, autobiography. So then I started reading up on that. And, you know, you're talking about a man, you know, this, Malcolm X's father was like, was held down on, tied up and held down on train tracks and decapitated by a train. And then the police ruled it a suicide. Like, how do you tie yourself up on a train track and be suicide? And you start to be like, shit, like, it's really rigged. Like, mm -hmm. it really, really is rigged. Because, and the thing too with me, that I also grew up, um, you know, I grew up on, I live in Rexville, and I grew up on the more suburban side of Rexville. But school, when I was a kid, was on, was on uh, the other side. It was in the hood. Yeah. You know, my middle school and high school were both in the hood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had experiences, you know, and at that point, there was only black people, brown people, you know, mostly children of immigrants. There really mm -hmm. wasn't any white people where I was from. And you had, you got a first-hand, you know, experience of all this. And I've been, mm -hmm. put, I was put in a police car when I was 14 that said pepper sprayed at 17. I had a negative police encounter two months ago in Utah, you know, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's expected, expected. It's, yeah, it's expected, but it, it, it was also worse with, it was. It showed me even how much privilege I still had because I was with a black guy, and the way yeah. that treated the black guy in comparison to me, yeah. you know, and realizing that my privilege also makes me think it's okay to be lippy to police officers because in Canada you can kind of get away with that. You can't get away with that in the states. That's sure. enough to to, sure. to get you to, you know, ten times shot in the back or whatever. Um, so I think you know, and I think for everybody, 
you know, without even making it about race or, or, or a specific social justice issue, it's just we all live in bubbles. Yeah. And the first time you get your bubble popped, you know, that fresh air is, is suffocating. It's uncomfortable. It's, sure. you know, it's you wish you didn't know. And then slowly you start to realize that, oh, shit, it's not even the only bubble. And mm-hmm. then you're just on this journey of popping more bubbles and it never ends. Um, we're all disconnected from groups of people on so many different levels. Um, so for me, I think, you know, while I was still young and, and seeing this stuff firsthand, you know, reading about Malcolm X, uh, you know, a, a lot of hip hop artists back then were, were, were sharing the plight of these things. And I mean, even in terms of films, like when they see us, uh, the 13th, uh, you know, there's, there's episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine that sure. talk about this. There's episodes of Atlanta that talk about this. There's watch Sanford and Sons. And, you know, Sanford's talking to his son and his son says, Dad, you got to eat healthier. Cholesterol is the number one killer of black people. And Sanford says, oh, I always thought it was the cops. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Nas has a song called Cop Shot the Kid, you know, yeah. and he's got, he's got audio from the 70s about mm-hmm. how bad it was. You know, I was, fuck, I was probably nine years old when, when somebody gave me an NWA tape and there was a skit where a police officer was raping a prostitute, mm-hmm. you know, and being, you know, and having that view shattered that these, that these police officers, these heroes are, you know, aren't as much and uh, realizing the propaganda. I, I wrote a song about police brutality and released it in 2009. That was after Katherine Johnston got killed. She was a 90-year-old lady. They kicked down her door, very similar to the Breonna Taylor story. They kicked down her door uh, with a no-knock warrant. She thought people were breaking in. She had a gun. She shot at them. She didn't hit them. They shot back 30 times at a 90-year-old lady. They killed her, and they hit each other. Wow. That's how, tra- that's how they lack training. You know, mm-hmm. As a teacher, I was taught to de-escalate situations. Yeah. You know, as a teacher who taught in, in, in challenging neighborhoods, I was taught to de-escalate situations. Then you realize police officers are no longer taught that. Hassan mm-hmm. Minaj has a, an amazing episode about mm-hmm. that. Uh, the militarization of it, you know? And when you're, when you're dealing with the states, you know, they do things on a much more intense level. The Cowboys, mm-hmm. you know, the, the military is everything to them. Football is a big advertisement for the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's, it's really about just, step one is just realizing we all live in a bubble, but step two is, Expose yourself to, to other communities, yeah. people, and learn about what they do and their unique experiences. Um, and read. And if you don't want to read, watch some films. But like, yeah. what you're gonna learn very quickly is, you know, watch a Malcolm X speech. Yeah. You know, watch a Muhammad Ali speech, and you can be like, shit, these guys were talking about this stuff in the '60s, and it sounds like they're talking about it today. <laughs> nothing has changed. Things have not changed. Learn about how deep KKK was involved in the United States government in the 20s. A hundred years ago, the KKK were heavy. That's why you have all these Confederate statues everywhere. They were so heavy. They were about 25% of the government. So I think it's just really important to understand the history of these nations and, and, and abandon this idea that enough time can go by for things to be forgotten. Like, yeah. that's not how it works. You don't forget these things just because a long time has gone by. Healing doesn't happen from that. Moving <laughs> past things doesn't happen like that. You know, this stuff, this stuff stays in our DNA. You know, and um, if you're Punjabi, we have our own history of oppression. Yeah. And you start to see the parallels with it. You start to realize the bad guys all share the same notes. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really interesting. And, and you can inform, uh, you can gain a lot of information that way. So when you, when you feel bad about learning about 84, or you feel bad about learning the riots in Delhi or, or the riots in Gujarat, it's the same shit. It's the people in charge turning the, the people on the ground against each other for their own benefit. Um, what does and just one more question on this? What does an effective ally look like? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what all that that, that fucking like. Those well, stories. like, what should brown people be doing right now? Like, what should we be doing should, other than posting black give, swears? People should be giving a shit. And I mean, again, I know exactly the person on Instagram that can legitimately read you his post that explains what a bad ally is versus what a good ally yeah. is. Um, recognizing the double-edged sword of empathy realizing that the problem always isn't that you don't give up you don't give a shit about black people it's that sometimes you give a shit too much and you give too much benefit of doubt to the other side you're giving the police too much of the benefit yeah. of doubt. you're giving the government too much benefit. that's also empathy realizing that your empathy is skewed one way it's a pendulum in itself um you, your job is to understand people who weren't like you 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, it's one thing to talk about, you know, it's not just black folks, the, the, the Aboriginal communities in North America, the treatment that they go through is ridiculous. Right now, there, there is, there's a pandemic with what's going on with COVID with them and getting killed by the police officers. Mm-hmm. Some of them are getting killed at a higher rate than black folks right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about learning with these people. And I think I, I was very fortunate to grow up in a super, super multicultural area. So I had friends and I identified with this. And if I ever told the story about what I was going through, they had a story from their history, learning about Somalia, learning about all of these things. Um, so to be, to be an ally is to, is to be against racism. Yeah. And right now, understanding that the focus is going to be on black lives specifically because that's happening at a higher rate than everybody else. Yeah. You know, a good analogy I heard is like, you say, save the rainforest. You don't say save all forests. It's okay to focus on one group right now. Mm-hmm. And it's happening, again, on a systematic level. It's happening at such a high level systemically. Um, whereas even having a black president couldn't change things. The people had to come and people had to make it happen. And realizing the way that America is set up with their lobbying, with uh, the you know, Citizens United, the ability for these police unions to to buy politicians, you know, which means no real change will ever actually happen until the people make decisions at the voting booth. You know, mm-hmm. now, you know, it's a perfect storm where a lot of change can actually happen because people are trying to save face, but also like the average non, uh, you know, interested citizen has to be interested now because they're not at work, they ain't got shit else to do, so they're seeing it. So when I think people have to be an ally, it's, 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 it's going to be about being a lifelong learner about mm-hmm. oppression, you know, mm-hmm. beyond race, beyond all of that, um, not making it about yourself, you know, really, you know, using, understanding that a lot of privilege, I learned, when I learned about the concept of privilege, I learned about it as an invisible knapsack. You carry a backpack with you that's invisible. You don't know yeah. it's privilege. Yeah. Whether it's a pretty girl and she doesn't get the speeding ticket, whether it's being the white guy and he gets into the nightclub. Uh, you know, you don't see the privileges you have. When somebody mm-hmm. says you have privilege, they're not saying that your life is the greatest thing in the world. You're going to have a bullshit day and what have you, but you're still afforded privileges that other people don't have. Us being in North America, affords sure. privileges that other people the have. The lottery. Yeah. So just be mindful of privilege and realize that it's not enough just to recognize it. It's that you can actually weaponize it for the benefit of other people. The same way, it's no different than taking 10% of what you earn and sharing it with people who don't have Mm-hmm. Take 10% of your privilege and use that to help other people, you know, put in, put in a good word for other people who normally can't get access to different places mm-hmm. and understand that there is a difference, especially if you're talking to South Asians, we come from the most racist country in the world. For sure. We see it all the time. And mm-hmm. it's not always going to be about butting heads with people and on, on understanding that control, racism, oppression are all languages of fear. And the only thing that you can do in the face of fear is love. So don't bang heads with your parents over this. Show them through love. Mm-hmm. Explain this stuff through love, and they're going to find that they have a lot in common. A lot of our parents worked in factories alongside people of different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. They connected on that level, whether they forgot it or not. Um, and I think always remember that your reality is not reality. You live mm-hmm. in a bubble, you know? Just because you don't know anybody that died from corona, that doesn't mean it's yeah. not happening. happening. Yeah. You don't know anybody who dealt with police brutality doesn't mean it doesn't happen like get get out of this basic mindset and i think having empathy for the people that you currently don't have empathy for is probably the greatest level of allyship and at that point find help them in ways that you're actually enthusiastic to help don't Mm -hmm. don't succumb to the peer pressure help people the way that you feel that you can best serve them um shifting gears but sticking with empathy what's your source of empathy where did because for example you've you stress a lot about not becoming a victim and sort of controlling your destiny, having the control in your own hands. How do you have the ability to then reserve empathy for others when for yourself, you probably lack empathy. You probably don't use that as an excuse. How have you figured out that balance? I haven't figured out that balance. That's my biggest challenge. That's legit. I legitimately asked somebody in the last six months how they have so much empathy while I struggle with it. And they said, it's, it's challenging when you get past something to see somebody who hasn't got past it. For sure. Um, and, and, and I've kind of, I've broken it. I think I've, I've dissected it a little bit more and I feel like, you know, there is empathy, but it's very limited. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm with somebody and they're uncomfortable in a situation that's new to them, I can have the empathy, but if it's the 15th time, yeah. the empathy has gone. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I always try to remind myself 
that you know the easiest group of people we can have empathy for are young people you know a, a baby spits in your face throws something at you has a tantrum we you know we we allow it we make space for it um they grow up and they do it it's unacceptable mm-hmm. for whatever reason we just assume they have to know better but the reality is the same part of them that's reacting it's our mm-hmm. inner child it's our little ego to- toddler it's our procrastination monkey whatever you want to call it it's that primal self of ours our lower self lower self so i think making space for that i think recognizing that has helped but um i think for me i got out of my most challenging times not through empathy, it was through tough love. But I, that was the language that I needed to speak to myself. That's how I grew up. That's the reason guys like us can hang out and talk shit and nobody gets their feelings hurt. Yeah. That's just how I spoke to myself. Like, do it or don't do it. Just don't complain about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with people I care about, it's definitely been a challenge in many situations. And um, a friend said, look, you know, help people, point people in the right direction, but you can't set the intensity of how well they work mm-hmm. you know how well they do it so you know focusing on progress over perfection um and caring from that standpoint um you know with these larger political issues it's much easier to have empathy uh, but for individuals it's yeah you can come to me with your problems i'll listen i'll try to to be of service i'll try to put myself in your shoes but if i hear it three four times i'll probably you know either you know give you some give you some hard truth or just stop talking to you because at that point, you're showing that you're not interested in getting better. You're just interested sure. in getting some attention. Um, you, you spoke about intensity and you talk a lot about like, and I totally agree with you, to use failure as an opportunity, to see everything as an opportunity. Um, now there's this huge emphasis on hustle culture. Um, and I don't know what hustle is supposed to look like. And I feel like people, my generation, don't even know what productivity is supposed to look like. Yeah. How would you define productivity and hustle? Um, I, I think... Um, it's been romanticized a lot and you're right. It's people just think hustle, hustle, hustle. And then they, they waste their days doing busy work. Uh, they waste their days putting out fires and not doing anything to kind of move themselves forward. Um, I think people have to also realize that, you know, there's a level of entitlement to this idea that we can all live our passions. And as long as yeah. we hustle, 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 we can make it happen. And, Again, people just have to be very cognizant and aware of when something gets romantic, it's probably slowly turning into bullshit. What do you mean by that? Um, the romanticism of hustle. I don't sleep, you know, hustle hard, <laughs> work hard, all this shit. And it's like, as somebody, you know, I remember watching an interview with one of the non-famous Facebook founders. And he said, you know, had I slept two more hours a day, we would have probably been more successful. Yeah. You know, like yeah. eat well, sleep well, yeah. work well, instead of stay up all night. And again, it, it, it probably starts getting developed into us during our school years when we have to cram for a stupid test, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not realizing the lack of value to memory-based learning in the first place. Um, that's why I do put a lot more emphasis on failure because failure to me, I mean, failure is just a bad, is, is a negative word for trial and error, mm-hmm. right? You know? we have only gotten this far through trial and error, mm-hmm. you know, and um, failure isn't the opposite of success. That's the path that leads us to success. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably top three humble poet quotes. That's definitely one of my favorites. It's an incredible one. What, what do you think is your superpower and how did you come to identify it? Um, I think my superpower is um, actively chasing Eureka moments. Okay. Like really, really wanting to like just be like, holy shit! How the hell did I live my entire life not knowing that? Yeah. Um, that's definitely been something I've always wanted. Uh, yeah. I always chase. Uh, I always want new experiences. Um, I'm always chasing like junior school days, where every every you know every hour was a new subject every every year was a new, new classmates new class new everything yeah. i need that i need that so much i need i need every day or every week or every month or every year to feel different i don't want this autopilot so i think for me that's probably the the natural part of me that i probably don't get to take any credit for this love of learning that i have or this love for adventure this love for new stuff um and again it's a double-edged sword in itself especially if you travel a lot um and then from that, my life experiences put me in a situation where I was able to put things uh, in words and make heavy ideas seem lighter. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
you know, I was an elementary school teacher. And from that, I was always rapping and hip hop and, uh, you know, in hip hop, you don't want to get too technical with your language either. So I was in all these different spaces that was, was rewarding uh, effective communication. So then what ended up happening was I'd go deep and I'd go heavy uh, learning something new. And then when I shared what I learned, I was able to put it through the humble the poet machine and make it more mm -hmm. digestible. And that, that offered value to people. And when you offer value to people, they'll, they'll provide value. They'll provide you with the resources to continue giving them value. Mm -hmm. And uh, people continually put me in a position to learn more stuff. So now I'm kind of in this, in this cycle of learn things, share what I learn, benefit people. People reward me for that, using those rewards to gain new experiences. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I am. Um, but and the superpower, as, as you put it, is, is definitely uh, a a massive enthusiasm to learning new shit. Does that mean routine scares you? Because it's hard to come across eureka moments. I'm sure when, like when you were teaching that eight to three, it's tougher to come across those eureka moments than it is probably now. Are you someone that is terrified of, uh, uh, from routine? Like does routine terrify you? I was terrified of routine in the concept of um, shit, eight months just went by. Where did the time go? And it's yeah. all a blur. Yeah. Because there's like legitimately nothing, no, no key moments and milestones that happen to make me like, whoa, when I look back at it. Um, the year started blending in all the same when I was teaching. I saw that. I thought having new kids and doing all that type of stuff would have made that much of a difference. Um, it's definitely why I became a teacher. Because I'm like, after teaching for 30 years, you still don't think you'd see it all. Um, it still wasn't enough. Um, so I did become extremely afraid of routine and predictability. Um, and then I went too hardcore the other way, you know, I, you know, traveling almost weekly, you know, um, different time zones, different everything. And then starting to see the double edged sword of that, like you don't get proper sleep. You're definitely not going to eat right, irrespective of how much money's in your pocket because mm -hmm. you're, you're going to get lazy and go to the familiar. So you know, I've, I've eaten McDonald's breakfast in almost every country I've been to. Like, that's yeah. what I end up relying on. You don't eat the room service. Which is also a milestone, by the way. That's which also a Eureka also, moment. Yeah. Which is also a Eureka milestone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and definitely the moment I actually had the, had the nerve to, to, to leave the, the plugged-in lifestyle to do something going on my own. The biggest voice, uh, every time something good happened, the biggest voice that would come in my head was like, see you dumbass, this is why we should have started earlier. Yeah. Like, like this, this should have happened 10 years ago. Like, this is why we're here to do this and mm -hmm. hurry up. Let's get more done before you die. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really pushed me to do a lot of stuff. Ironically, um, the, the, the benefits of routine are it allows mastery. Um, it, it allows uh, um, probably better decisions and choices for your health. Mm -hmm. Same time, we got the same time eating. So uh, when I, I did my last book, it was a very regimented experience because I, I signed with a major publisher. I had contractual deadlines. Um, it was my first time with the, in the big leagues. I was super nervous. I wanted to make the most of it. So I, had to, I created uh, for about six months a steady routine mm -hmm. of writing, waking up, what have you. And it's like the, to attach everything to that, it was amazing. And then it made me remember even when I was a teacher, I was more productive, mm -hmm. even as Humble the Poet. Humble yeah. the Poet got more work done when he had a full-time job than when Humble the Poet became a full-time job because there was structure you could attach your day to. You could attach going to the gym before you go to work. You could attach something else to that. And then instead of being just a free spirit flying around, and then that's when I realized that, you know, the, the biggest freedom that I was chasing, because what, what I really thought I was chasing was freedom. The, the biggest freedom comes through discipline, mm -hmm. and, you know, because you can be a slave to sleeping in, you can be a slave to food, you can be a slave to your urges, you can be a slave to all these things, and they hurt you. You know, they, 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 they take you away from what you say you want to do in your life. So when I wrote that book, the process of writing the book, the process of being held accountable, it was amazing. I remember writing the book and then starting to do press and with people who I knew and then being like, wow, you look great. You look healthy. You look, you know and feeling stronger, feeling better, and then going on tour for three months and my back hurts, I'm eating the yeah. trash again, I'm gaining weight, I'm doing whatever, like, realize, like, oh shit, like there's a benefit to that. So the irony was 2020, I said, no traveling, I'm moving to LA, 
everything's good. There was delays with my visa. By the time I got my visa, um, uh, by the time I got my visa, I had also been just traveling a shit ton. Yeah. All those opportunities came. So, like from middle of February to middle of March, I was on twelve different flights. Wow. Um, which is put me for a candidate for COVID as well. Mm. But um, yeah, and then when COVID hit, I had to stay home, and that was the moment. Like, oh, here you go. You, now you are enforced routine. Like you are mm. in a prison sentence make the most of it what are all the things that you would do differently now like, all right let's get that pull-up bar all right let's put up the calendars for for the push-ups and for the writing and for all of that stuff and now that has been established that la and i thought it was gonna happen for a month none of us knew when it was yeah. gonna end uh i promised myself i'd go to la and and get get my routine going on and sign a one-year lease and everything would be great then it became clear that you know america has to get their shit together yeah so I was like, all right, I'll do it here. So now I've signed a one-year lease. So I will, you know, it's not, now it's not financially in my, uh, uh, in my interest to go take a random trip to Berlin or go, yeah. go there. And plus, at the end of the day, this is the one year that there, there will be no FOMO. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you spoke, I feel like self-discipline is the most important thing to lead a happy, not happy, but sort of a content and safe life. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when last time we spoke, you, you had this one cookie theory for someone who's losing weight, just eat one cookie less every single day. And that gradual progress will get you to where you want to be. Um, for people who suffer with discipline problems, I do. And a lot of people do. It's not just food. It could be like, yes, yeah, sleeping in. What are some tangible things people can do to sort of master self-discipline? And I'm sure you haven't mastered it. No one has. But what are, you, what, what, what are, what are things, some things you'd advise? Um, I, I think there's a two parts to it. So the, the, the easy one that everybody can do, uh, is just build a level, build a level of self-awareness, um, where you've already put too much on, on your plate proverbially. So if you're like, I'm going to wake up at 6am every day and you're averaging noon, you know, you've already set yourself up for failure. Yeah. So you can, so yeah. Um, what we have to do is we have to, we have to create intentions and not goals. Mm -hmm. And we have to create roadmaps to those intentions. Um, and this is, you know, and this is so, if you want to wake up at 6am, let's do 15 minutes a day. Same thing with the cookie. Like, yeah. Go from noon to 11.45, 11.45 to 11.30. Maybe you might go back up to noon the next day or even one o'clock. It's okay. <laughs> Keep focusing on it. And you set the intention, you set the direction. And if you don't focus on the goal of 6 a.m., you focus the goal on the goal of waking up early. Mm -hmm. um, if you attach the bigger goal, like there's a reason you want to wake up earlier, whatever that real reason is, uh, that is, it becomes the why. Mm -hmm. uh, when your action, the reason for your actions is your why. Yeah. And, you know, I'm helping a friend work right now and, you know, we're getting nitty gritty with the money. And, the why isn't to make a lot of money. The why is to pay off the parents' mortgage. Okay, yeah. So when you're tired, when you don't want to do it, remember your parents' mortgage. Yeah. That's not discipline anymore. That's, that's, that's something that, 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 that's deeper. And that's grit. That's what people are mistaken when they keep talking about hustling hard, hustling hard, doing whatever. Grit is when you hit your wall, can you keep going? Yeah. Right? Uh, that grit that why is the difference between making a decision based off your commitments and making a decision based off your feelings. Mm -hmm. At 10 PM, I can say I want to wake up early in the morning, but early in the morning, I don't feel like doing it. So you have to choose your commitments over that. And there is no magic pill for that. There's just an awareness. Mm -hmm. That conversation has to happen. And when you set an intention that actually matters to you and it's not for anybody else, you it, it'll be a, a much stronger a much much stronger uh um motivating factor i remember i was when i was on a, a the world tour with lily we were traveling around the world time zones were different everything was different uh most nights getting three hours of sleep because you had to wake up catch a flight do all this do all of that never missed one i used to pack my bags put them at the front door put my clothes on top of the suitcase. Yeah. Uh, I'd wake up half asleep, put on the clothes, drag the suitcase downstairs and immediately go and sleep on the plane or whatever. The moment the tour was over, the day the tour was over, the next day we had a voluntary event that we could attend. Yeah. Body didn't hear an alarm clock. 
Yeah. I slept through every alarm. I slept because my body knew this shit didn't matter. Yeah. When, when, you, you won't always sleep through if you have to go to school, you have to go to work. When the stakes are high, you have to do these things. And that's okay. People rely on discipline too much and they stretch themselves out too thin and it snaps back at them. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's, it's got to be break down your goals into manageable things, but as well as, as find a reason that actually you give a shit about. And, you know, it can't be, you know, there's a lot of people like, oh, I want to lose weight but they really want to lose weight so they can look good so people can compliment them. But that's not the, 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 the deepness of it. Yeah. And they have a child that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Then they have a child like, shit, I don't want to die. I want to see this kid grow up exactly. and then they lose weight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a real why happens. And I think people have to understand that and to, to be validated, to feel good about yourself. These, especially from outside forces, these are never going to be motivating factors for long. Yeah. Uh, to prove people wrong. These chips on your shoulders, they can only take you so far and they generally take you in the wrong direction. And then the moment you realize that they don't give you what you thought they were going to promise you, now you're just left, you're stuck in a situation. Um, so for me now, you know, I just tell myself, look, do hard shit because doing hard shit makes you proud of yourself. Um, I have a, I have a, a friend who um, sold his company for $400 million. Wow. He- here are three things that felt better than making $400 million. He goes, getting out of bed in the first 10 minutes, taking a cold shower and working out for half an hour a day. He goes, I don't want to do any of those things. If I do those things, it always feels better to me. I feel, I feel like a better human being than I ever did the moment I saw my bank account. Yeah. And, I, and I can understand that because there's a difference between self-respect and self-esteem. Yeah. A lot of the things that we do for display purposes only feel self-esteem because other people are complimenting us. but self-respect is like yo i didn't want to do it and i did it i only did it because i said i was going to do it and that's what matters and self-respect is self-generated and it's generally doing hard shit yeah you know what that reminds me of uh, you know nabal rabikant he's like this yeah. he, he has this quote where he's like you should do good things and progressive things for yourself because you're always watching yourself and judging yourself yeah. and as soon as you start let, letting yourself down then it becomes that vicious cycle of hating i think this is one really interesting thing you said is like i totally agree focusing on the gradual but i do think the why is often lost like for example i can attribute me wanting to lose weight for strictly aesthetic purposes and now as i'm older when my ankles inflame when i play basketball it's like no i want to lose weight because it's actually healthier and better for me and you know i'm more productive 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 so that's a great point um a lot of the people that i spoke to and i get this from you as well is like they define success as and you can correct me if i'm wrong um deviating having the ability to deviate from routine which you do and like you really well unless i'm putting words in your mouth but with your structure with your book and the structure there it gave you that routine but then you could tour for three months so having the emancipation to do what you want but then go back to a routine do you think do you think it's fair if i say that's how you perceive success or am i wrong at one point i probably did okay Um, i think probably the bigger thing about it was just having living life on my own terms Okay. So now if I hire you to be my accountability buddy yeah. and you're yelling at me, screaming at me, I, I still hired you. Yeah. I created this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, instead of me working for somebody. And, and you know, Noble, Noble talks about that too. Getting yeah. to be where you want, wear what you want, yeah. uh, you know, on your own terms. And I think yeah. for me, that was a big thing. And I learned that through just even smaller, minute things. Like after a night of partying, seeing the lineup outside pizza, pizza, and like, I don't want to stand on a line to give somebody my money. This doesn't feel like it's on my terms. Like, yeah, I feel like a little, I feel like a sucker. I don't want to yeah, yeah. a sucker. I want totally. To, I understand yeah. that too. I want to own my decisions and I want to, I want to be the only guy who gets blamed mm-hmm. when shit hits the fan. That's so interesting. Sorry. So I think for me, that's what it really boiled down to. So it's like, yeah, having that freedom to go, but now having the freedom to say, no, I'm signing this lease. I'm bound to this lease, but nobody made me sign it. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm bound to have to show up to, to see my trainer, but the, I hired him. Can I interrupt you for one second? What, yeah. One thing you said there was fucking great. You said, um, and if you could repeat that, you're like, I'm also, because everything's on my own terms. Even when I fuck up, it's yeah. on me, yeah. which is like, that's so great because I also control my failures. Like, I'll figure that, which means I can figure it out. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, and also it's power. Think about yeah. it. In any situation, any situation, when you blame somebody you're identifying who has the power yep that's an yeah that's a great you know, point so if your yeah. life sucks and you're like it's because of racism you gave racism the power 
Yeah. Because of my parents, you gave them the power, which means only they can sure. think, oh, you married somebody you didn't want to because somebody forced you to, you're, you're giving them the power. For sure. And anytime I ever had any influ- in, in conflicts or whatever, disputes with my parents, I would always say, listen, at least you know, when I'm an old, old man and my life sucks, I won't be able to blame you guys. Yeah. But listen to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I have no one to blame but myself. Yeah. And for me, that was always a big priority, you know, because I am fucking up and I do blame myself. Sometimes I do beat myself up over the stuff, but at least it's me and yeah. it's not anybody else. Because, and there will be random situations where other people, you know, that are, somebody can hit me with their car when I'm walking down the street tomorrow. Yeah. And, and even then, I'll probably twist it away that I can take it with something. Which is so great. Which is, I feel like, if you can sort of live like that, like, I, I feel like life's, so I'm getting excited because that's the fucking type of answers I want. And I feel like that's the best answer we've gotten. That's why I'm a little, it's the anxiety, oh, no, but, it's the anxiety kicking me, in. It, it happened that way. I used to yeah. blame everybody for everything. And then I oh, realized really? that because I blamed everybody for how shitty my life was going, I yeah. had no power to make it better. Yeah. So then I had to ask myself, and what part of this was your fault? Like when that guy betrayed you you can tell everyone the sad story about him betraying you but what part of that was your fault well for I sure trusted him. I, I i believed him in so many instances i shouldn't have to believe in it yeah i i picked action i picked words over actions yeah when i saw an action contradict the word i still believed the words that wanted to these yeah. are the reasons i was betrayed these yeah. are the reasons i was ripped off these are the reasons all this. i got robbed in new york before i got beat up and robbed in new york like 10 wow. years ago how is that my fault? I'm yapping on my cell phone at 2.30 in the morning <laughs> yeah. in, in the middle of Queens in, yeah. in a dark alley by myself. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? I have to take some ownership. This would be a, this would be a great skit where you, like, you get shot and you're on, like, on the hospital bed and you're just blaming yourself. Like, what yeah. could I have done differently? <laughs> and I, I should have been wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> no, go on, sorry. But I get exactly. your point, and I think it's like the best way to lead your life. So sorry. It's empowering. If you want power, you feel powerless, Take responsibility. Yeah. With responsibility will come power. Yeah. And then you have the power to make things better. And, sure. it's just, and it's just an outlook. It's not yeah. a, there's nothing different. It's not, there aren't any situations where you can't look and be like, what could I have done different? Or what can I do now different? Or how can I own some of this? And when you mm-hmm. own it, you have the power to, to deal with and address it. And that's why I have very little empathy for people who, who, who view themselves as a the victim. Because nothing comes sure. from what, sure. what What comes from feeling sorry for yourself? Like yeah. what positive uh net gain is going to come from identifying that it was everybody else's fault mm-hmm. you know we're here now well how can we make it better step one figure out what your part in this was that's such a great answer um and, and with that definition in mind if i were to ask you uh who you think of when i say the word successful who comes to mind man um I have a friend named Tony Conrad. He's he's successful. He's a two first names. Huh? It's like two first names. Tony Conrad. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like he's successful because he. I mean, he's he's worldly successful. He's a successful VC, but um, he spends a lot of time riding his bike around the world. So he picks a country and he rides his bike for hours yeah. on end in that country. Um, he uh, takes a lot of adventures that are very uncomfortable. He climbs volcanoes. Um, he's, he's obsessed with his wife and they're both in their sixties. Yeah. Um, he, he's a, he's a weirdo. He's a, he, he, he's living life on his own terms and very little of it is for display purposes. And 90% of my interactions with him always involve him helping somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we only became friends because I told him, you know, he was from the Bay and I was like, you know, a year ago around this time. And I was like, you know, the Raptors are going to take you out. Yeah. He's like, get out of here, bitch. <laughs> and then I'm like, watch, watch it happen. And yeah. then he told me later, he's like, I called you bitch and you laughed it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I knew you were cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to get offended. You know, as I said, so I think everything about the interactions were just what have you. And, I think he, he's, he's been showing me a lot of, because I know a lot of successful, miserable people. And yeah. I think he was one of the first successful, very happy people. And he's just like, go away for a month, check in once a month with the world and turn off your phone and go do whatever the hell you want again. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting. And uh, I always hear from him for the, and, 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 and he just does so many things that I thought rich people don't do. Like he carries 
he carries a coffee kit with him. That's interesting. So like he brews his own coffee everywhere. Wow. Yeah. So because he doesn't like it, he thinks anybody else's coffee is shit. Like, so, you know, you're sitting in the four seasons and he's making you coffee (laughs) from the kit that he carries. And you're like, you know, I thought rich people don't do any of this shit. Yeah, yeah buy Keurigs everywhere they go or whatever. So I think it's, it's somebody who's very, he, he's very self-aware, he's very successful, he's very kind, um, and he's not, nothing he's really doing is for, for uh, display purposes. And I think that's been a big thing that I've seen with a lot of the happiest people I know is they live a life of their enthusiasms, not for other people to see. Yeah, I think it's really like attractive, and I don't mean this you know in a sexual way, when someone does have those, sort of quirky things that they're really into like making their own coffee i think that means they're really comfortable just being themselves um they're just doing what they love like they're just being right i have a friend who farms like i have a friend uh he's a jamaican guy from toronto he moved to germany 10 years ago to teach english and never got on social media so he's still living like 15 years in the past but he goes to portugal every summer and he works on migrant farms wow like like a migrant worker and he sleeps in a shed and he just wants to learn about farming do you have something do you have something quirky that you do like that's some, sort of like that have you found that quirky because you probably have the luxury now to sort of pursue the quirkiness um I, I i ride my bike a lot you ride you ride your bike with my brother-in-law like cousin brother-in-law paul uh gondola paul rocker uh small world yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, 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 go, I go on bike rides every single thing? day, and then like yeah. once a week, me and another buddy, we take these crazy adventures. So like, yes, last, uh, last Sunday, me, me and him made it all the way to Rebel. Nice oh, wow. Day. That's yeah. far. Yeah. Yeah, it's very far. <laughs> yeah. So this is like a six-hour adventure of us yeah. riding bikes, and, yeah. and it's, 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 it's legitimately just being a kid. Me and him are riding bikes. Yeah. We, we, when we get tired, we go to a gas station, we buy chocolate bars and Gatorade. <laughs> yeah. We do that. That's legit like high school shit. Yeah. This is legit like great tension. Yeah, great, great tension. Great five shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go to Hasty Market, yeah. Um, yeah, just little kids shit. We're just yeah. doing little kids and it's having the luxury of having, being able to afford to just spend a day doing this and like mm-hmm. not looking at our phones and, and, you know, just having fun making it all happen. So I think for me, and, and that all just came from when, when shit hit the fan for me and I had no money. I had purchased this expensive bike uh, that I left at my parents' house. So when I moved back with my parents because I ran out of money, I saw yeah. the bike and I was like, shit, I should sell it. Either I have to sell it or ride it. And then when yeah. I started riding it every day, I fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, I have one more like sort of serious question, that uh, some quick rapid fire, then we're good to go. Um, what type of validation do you seek? Um, prob- I mean, probably just acknowledgement from people who I admire who have qualities I admire, or people who are doing the work in the space that I want to do, obviously. Um, I know that, you know, that's my potato chip validation. I know it's not good for me, but, you know, you want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, you know, a thumbs up from Nas would mean more than a million people following me on Instagram. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, definitely that's, you know, those are the ones that, that keep you afloat for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, you know, and, and I don't, actively pursue it anymore probably because i have i have a little bit of a deeper understanding of how the game goes and anybody who actually likes your work is going to figure out how to pimp your ass anyways <laughs> so it's, it's really avoid your avoid your heroes at all costs yeah yeah most likely they're old and losing relevancy by the time yeah and they're mad that confederate flags are being taken down so like yeah yeah and they're just like how can how can i use this how can i get this? and somebody warned me a long time ago when i went to england for the first time um, there was actually a DJ here and he was just like look you're going to meet all your heroes and they're all going to want to work with you they need you more than you need them and he was talking about the brown scene out there yeah. and it made sense because everybody we grew up with you know they've been inactive for the last sure. 10, 15 years so um, but their validation still means something you know the people that influence you it matters um, I think that I think also probably the validation of my my, my day to day friends yeah a reminder that i've been able to achieve and accomplish so much without them having anything bad to say about me 
you know so i haven't heard anybody call me out for changing i haven't yeah. heard anybody say i can confirm this i think uh, you're literally humble the poet like you're let's that's, that's literally you you know what i mean it's a uh, you know well, it's not even like modest the, it's not even modest the poet yeah, sorry, you were saying? Sorry. Yeah, but, but also whatever, like, court, like I, you know, I have an asshole side to me. The asshole side hasn't changed. Yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a politician. I don't pretend to be nicer than I am to yeah. other people. Like, I've, and again, that goes back to my goals of being free. Like, I, don't, yeah. I, I, understand, I understand the threshold of fame I'm allowed to have yeah. before this will all bite me in the ass. And I'm, yeah. I'm not chasing that, you know? Yeah. I, I, I learned that that's not as, that, that's self-esteem. That's not self-respect. So, mm-hmm. So yeah, probably that. I think just knowing that most of the people that I hang out with are still have access to me, still still talk to me, uh, still understand me. Nobody gets pissed off if they don't hear from me for a week or whatever. So I think all of these things really matter. Knowing that I can still go places and don't have to worry about getting beat up because I said some dumb shit, you know. So I think from all all of these things they matter to me. You know, mm-hmm. even knowing that even during this challenging time, like nobody's calling me out because I have a documented history of caring about social justice. Course, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's not about bragging about caring about before school. It's, if anything, <laughs> it's helping to remind me of who I was and who I can continue to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't have to water down myself and I don't have to be less controversial. And all those things that mattered then still matter now. And it's been a good lesson for me to, to, to work on evergreen work, forever work. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about what's happening today. Talk about what's happening forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... That's the type of validation that I probably seek. And I think also just people who appreciate me now for my ideas more so than my reach. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the business world, a lot of it will be reach. But now, you know, changing partnerships and finding people just like, look, you got the good ideas. We got we have the, the trampolines for you to bounce them off of. Mm-hmm. And, and finding these new relationships, which matter so much more, that are much more about uh, creativity over uh, influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have some rapid fire questions. We're good to go. Um, the, you have a ton of great quotes. I don't know if you've been on Goodreads. They have like thirty of your top quotes. Great quotes. I didn't Are even they, know. I was on yeah, I was. I was doing some research. I was doing some research. Um, is there a quote? <laughs> is there a quote from someone else that sort of resonates with you and comes to you like daily or weekly? I mean, it's probably half of those Goodreads quotes are probably other people's <laughs> quotes. They're attributed to me. Um, I've seen somebody quote me quoting somebody and still giving it to me. Where the so other Michael Scott, the Michael there. Scott. Yeah. It's like when he quotes, yeah. Wayne, when he quotes Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. But does he quote Wayne Gretzky and write Wayne Gretzky in the quote and then write, and then write Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah. That happened for me. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, the big one, the big one is probably what a friend said to me recently, which was just make decisions based off your commitments, not off your feelings. He was, he was explaining to me what he was teaching his son. Yeah. Um, and I just thought about that and I was like, shit, like that's legit. Like, you know, you're driving home and you're like, all right, I'm going to go home and I'm going to cook some dinner. I'm going to do 10 different things. And you get yeah. home, you don't feel like it. Yeah. And it's just maybe that, I think the self-awareness that came from being like, yo, you said you're going to do it, do it. And, you know, finding value in the cliches, because cliche is a cliche for the reason. So when someone's like, you know, all you got is your word. Like, yeah, you, you sit there and you think like, no, man, there's so many people who, 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 you know, who don't hold value to their word that are progressing in life. But then you hit a certain echelon or a certain threshold, you're like, no, that's not true. Like, yeah. your credibility is what really matters and everything. So I think that's one, of the, that's one of the ones that stick with me. And the other one that an agent told me when I almost got lost in all the sauce and I was just trying to get as famous as possible was, you know, there will always be a demand for good ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that kind of brought me back to like, yo, focus on being creative and focus on getting better at what you do instead of, you know, playing all these tricks to in the attention economy. Um, obviously, both your books have been like super impactful. And like, you know, even within screw the South Asian community, but like I listen to you when you're on Brilliant Idiots and or when you're on Breakfast Club, I get so excited to tell everyone. Um, but it's resonated with like the community at large. Uh, are there books... Uh, from other authors that you would also recommend that sort of like, I, I don't want to say are in the same lane, but you feel like it would, would also be a, be of help when it comes to self-improvement or self-growth. Yeah. I mean, should I have right here? So you have a novel, Ravi Khan? Yeah. So he, has a bro- he has a brother. Kamal, uh, right? Yeah, Kamal. He's, so he's, he's a little eccentric with the hair and stuff. 
Yeah, he's the artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah he wrote yeah. a book. He wrote that book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. It's on my list. Is it yeah, a banger? So it's a, it's a you know what it is it's a there's there's it's come it comes from a real place and it and there's the pragmatism is there yeah um even in the you know if even in the ritualizing like you know the, he creates a ritual to forgive yourself but okay you know he says write down everything that you regret write down everything you need to be forgiven for and then you know go somewhere and burn it and and and, and let it go off through he's not promising you that burning it makes it go away but shit writing down what you feel you need to be forgiven for just going through that yeah process. i'm not i'm not ready for that i'm not ready for Trust that me, yeah that's hard enough <laughs> yeah and then and then you can you know you can imagine what it feels like to like set that shit on fire or throw that wow. shit or whatever so i think from that standpoint and it came from a person at his lowest uh, so I always I like that one a lot. Um, Damn, that gave me chills. I feel like that's something I might want to do. In yeah, the no, the, those those Ravikant guys are, are fucking. They're just, they're, yeah. they're unique. They're, yeah, they're unique characters. They're super dope. Um, so definitely, I think his I think his book is super cool. Um, Principles, man. Principles by Ray Dalio. Like that's mm-hmm. fucking, you know that's 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 like the textbook of life right now. I think that book is so dope, and he broke he breaks down everything super super well, and he's also got the resume. To, he's got the resume to, uh, um, to back it up. Like Ray Dalio is like eighteen billion dollars, and he and he breaks down just how life really works. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to think in, in the space. Um, this is the last really good one I read too as well. I mean, the subtle lot of not giving a fuck is really good. I think it it really depends on meeting people where they're at. So I'm I'm again I'm chasing my eurekas. So yeah, you know a lot a lot of the successful people in the personal growth space are, are like personal growth one-on-one, you know, yeah. people about the first, the, the baby steps to get there. And I think for me, it's, I have to, I have, I have for my selfish purposes, I have to go deeper. For sure. Um, but uh, Jay Shetty's coming out with a book. Oh, is he? Wow. Remember, uh, uh, called, uh, live like a monk. Um, he, I mean, he's, he's becoming easily the forefront guy. Um, when it comes to at least, you know, self-awareness, personal For sure. one-on-one, he's, you know, he, he said the way he says it, plus the accent, everything, it resonates with people on yeah. a level. Accent always helps. Accent always helps. And then yeah. even when I talk to him, like I, I talk to him, like with my swords out, you know, just yeah. challenge. And, you know, I'm the, don't give me that bullshit. I need to hear, you know, and he's always, it, it's there. Like he, he's done the work. Like I lived as a monk for three years. Like, he's actually done the work. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of most of the books. Most most of the people I I spend a lot. I'm on podcast now, man. Like, I'm just trying to think. Most of what is the last book that really hit me? I've been doing Ray Dalio's book, and I just think like I can't get through five pages without just feeling overwhelmed, nice. learning so much off of shit. Like he he really dissects things down to its molecular level. Um, which was over there. Um, any podcast that like you mentioned podcasts is your NPR hidden brain, man, NPR, NPR, they, they, they have the best podcast and yeah. hidden, brain, hidden brain, NPR, hidden brain is fucking, uh, what is it about? It's just like against self-improvement or it's, um, how do you describe it? It's helping people understand themselves, uh, on a, on a deeper level, with a lot of science and research to back it up. Yeah. Um, smart people discussing interesting topics with the goal of discovering the truth, not to make a point. So like today it was, uh, one of the episodes was on twins, you know, and how studying twins will help us better understand nature versus nurture. Cause certain twins have been switched at birth. Yeah. And 25 years later, you take these two twins and reunited and you see what they have in common and what they don't have in common. Because they grew up in very different environments, um, you know. Today, I listened. To, I listened to like four episodes today. Like one episode was on um, how to become an A-list celebrity. So they they broke down the science of becoming an A-list celebrity. Um, uh, they broke down. They break down. They what it is? They, they break things down really deeply. Uh, uh, what was another episode I heard today? Uh, privilege. How privilege mm-hmm. is changing. How most people now. Um, they're, they're, they're signaling, they don't signal their privileges through expensive cars and expensive watches. They signal their privilege through, um, organic food 
and oh, yeah. breastfeeding their kids oh, wow. and uh, having their kids take piano lessons yeah. and going to yoga, you know, not realizing that most human beings can't afford to do any of this shit. Yeah. They got to go back to work after giving birth. They got to, they got to, they can't go to a yoga class three days a week that costs 40 bucks to attend. They can't afford to eat organic. You yeah. know? And, and these people are doing this, you know, these people drive Teslas. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's good for the environment. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Nobody can afford that shit. So, yeah. Um, yeah so it, it really, it, it does a lot of that explaining tribalism. They explain the science behind tribalism. So they'll, and they'll talk about, you know, forget Republicans and Democrats. They'll do studies with like Liverpool fans and have yeah. Liverpool fans like walk down the street and show somebody in a Manchester United jersey injured on the side of the street and count how many times they help to show wow. the origins of all of this. So I think for me, it really shows the origins and it really does it from a non-biased perspective. Uh, and it's Which just is key in this, in this era. Yeah. It's so key. And yeah. I think so, they look at everything as fascinating. And I think that's what I like. That's interesting. Don't judge anything. Everything is fascinating. Trump winning the elections is fascinating. All, you know, all of these things is not good or bad. It's fascinating. And here's why it's fascinating. Um, there was one just the importance of voice, the tone of your voice. There was a whole one on. Uh, I want to write like, this down. Yeah, NPR hidden brain, man. I'm addicted to it. There's one about uh, us choosing uh, us choosing to die. How many of us have said like, if I'm ever paralyzed, just pull the plug. Yeah. But the moment we're there, we're not going to want to pull the plug. Like just explaining the differences and why we think so. How we can't decide who we're going to be when we're that person because we don't have a crystal ball so yeah. you know you think right now like, I, I could never live paralyzed but then the moment you're paralyzed you're like just one more day it's one, yeah, yeah. Me one more day it's one just day. grind it out yeah let's just run out the clock yeah let's not, yeah. Let's not do it so yeah. there's been so many of those and it's given me so many aha moments and npr just does the work man like they, yeah. they do the work um they don't have an agenda they just and and you can hear the enthusiasm and the today another episode was on uh uh, sex dolls and sex robots and AI yeah. and you know the 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 market and the the clientele and why people actually are doing it and what intimacy means and what artificial intimacy can possibly mean for people and what what we can do to learn about that for ourselves. So I think they just take really interesting things like that and uh, it breaks it down. So and it's you know half an hour hour episodes max. Uh, yeah, interesting storytelling. Um, you know, um, so I think for me, I, I spend a lot of time doing that just because I'm riding my bike while I do it. It's kind of slow this stuff in, yeah. but I, I, I pull over just to like take notes all the time. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then I'm doing a lot of uh, research just on, I'm writing my, my next book's about love. So I'm just doing a lot of research on love. So I'm just yeah. exposed. So I'm going to start reading a lot of love books. Yeah. So probably, but, um, but I also like, like, I'm, I like Jordan Peterson's, uh, 12 rules. 12 rules. Um, Again, somebody who just breaks things down. He breaks things down on, on such a point, and uh, I can accept his harsh style of delivery. You yeah. Know, again, it's a you know he's not talking about things that that connect to my self value, so I don't get offended by the things that he says. But I understand why people don't like him. Yeah. Um, and he sounds like Kermit the Frog, like yeah. shit, you know. But uh, so from that standpoint. I think you're, I think the, uh, what's really interesting is you're writing a book, you know, I was going to ask you that question, but um, I think you're never going to have a book about it. And I feel like this is going to be by far, like, I think this is going to be an NY time seller. I feel like love in this era is because of the social media influence, and particularly being South Asian, the Bollywood influence. I just don't know what it means or what it looks like. Even within my relationships, it's looked different. Um, Yo, I, I'm doing the work. This, you're 100%. I'm excited, right? dude. I'm excited. This is going to be that book just because I'm, it's most likely going to be my last book too. So I'm just, oh, I'm, damn. I'm leaving it all out. It's on. a black album. Well, you know, then you're going to come back with a couple. You never know. You never. I mean, if they, if they hit me with a big enough bag of money. There you go. There you go. It, there I, you it, go. I, I, I really, I really want this to be like my, my, my dark fantasy. It will. It will. I have a feeling, man. That's a great and topic. It, yeah. It, it, it's not going to come out until the end of next year, maybe even the, the 2022. So, it's, it's just been deep, deep work. It's one of the reasons I'm moving out, like just so I can be in, in an environment where there's nobody else there and I can just write, and yeah. live and I can experience. And I've learned so much about love. It's been fucking bananas yeah. uh, how little we understand love and how 
much media has created our expectations around love. For sure. And how much we think fucking dopamine is love and how yeah. much we, you know, how much we, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. And there's, there's so many interesting people who have done the work, like Esther Perel, Peter Crone, these guys have like really done the work and just to realize like what self-love really is and realizing that we all are, we all love very well towards other people, but we've never even thought to put those principles to us. Yeah, for sure. We so just say love yourself. Never asking what what does loving yourself look like? Yeah, because all we want to do is get. All we try to do is improve ourselves, thinking that the better we get, the more worthy we have of love. But anybody you love in your own life, you don't ask them to do that. Yeah, you love them regardless. You they could be they could be a piece of shit, but you'll still find love for them. Which is what you're supposed to do for yourself. Exactly. Which love is yourself so despite being a piece of shit. <laughs> It's so interesting because I do associate loving yourself with becoming a better person, which is perhaps not the right definition. But for more, 2022. 2022, get it. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to make, make it easy. I'm gonna, that's the, that's the thing. I, I was going to say that, man. Because could go, get I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm to make it easy for people to get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it still may turn into, like, you know, you tell somebody, you know, eat, eat vegetables and burn more calories than you, you take in and you'll lose weight. It's easy to say, it makes yeah. sense, but it's not easy to do. So, you know, I, I'm at that stage right now with self-love and loving the world and loving other people and loving your work. And that's the thing. This book is not about romance, not about relationships. It's about love. Love for yourself, love for the world, love for the people that matter to you in your life, as well as love for the things that you think that you love. Whether it's, again, whether it's your country, your world, your, your religion, your, your work, your, your favorite movie. And just, and just trying to get people to see see love for what it really is and again it'll go back to dispelling the romanticism i think that's another theme of humble the poet which is just stomping on romance because the romance ends up creating unrealistic expectations and we all just are left feeling unfulfilled Mm -hmm. um, when really fulfillment shouldn't be the goal um, I think that's a great place to leave it as always this is a terrific conversation um and i think there's so many gems obviously your books have so many of them, but like this conversation, I feel like a lot of people can pick up a lot from it. Uh, thanks again, man, for uh, always saying yes and always helping out. And if you have any tips for us, uh, please let us know. Uh, I'd be greatly appreciated because this is your lane. So. No, I mean, I mean, at this point, I mean, it, it, it's good that you guys are doing it. I'm, I'm doing this too with people, but I'm, I'm doing it just for the conversations. Yeah. Um, and just to find the quotables. Yeah. So I can put them in the book, but I think this is, I think again, it, it's important if, if we focus on building beyond ourselves and I, and I sure. see that and I get that. And it's, uh, we're probably the first generation to have people that can back up what they're saying. For sure. You know, and it's the, uh, I wish you guys the best, man. Get as many, get as many weirdos as you can. Yeah, for sure. We're 40 weirdos down, 60 more to go. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Humble. All right, brother.